I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Bono and Eisen. Tonight on Fast, we are trading the vote. We are less than two hours away from the first polls closing for the night. And it's possible we might not know a decisive winner for days. Or will we? According to today's market action, it sure looks like we'll get some clarity. Stocks surging with the S&P 500 posting its second best election day on record. Nearly every single sector finished the day in the green, with the exception of energy. Meantime, over in the bond market, yields pushed higher with the 10-year note heading back toward 0.9%. And Wall Street's fear gauge, the VIX, fell in today's session. So is the market giving it all clear when it comes to getting some election night clarity? Guy Dami, what do you say? All clear, definitely not. I don't think it's all clear at all. I think a lot of people are trying to gauge what today's, what basically the last week and a half the price action meant, the big sell-off last week, the subsequent, basically half the, that move last week we got back over the last couple of trading days. I'll tell you flat out, I have no idea. I can make a case for both candidates based on some sectors. I mean, the move in the banks maybe suggests that President Trump will be reelected. The counter of that will be that the bond move maybe helped that. We'll see. The flip side you had big cap integrated oil names get whacked on a day the crude oil went higher and the broader market went higher. That suggested potentially candidate Biden winning. The reality is I have no idea. I don't think anybody knows. I'm not going to pretend to know what I will say and what I've said now for the last couple of days. If you have a candidate, either one, with a concession speech either tonight or in the wee hours of the morning when you're on Melissa Lee, uh, that to me is going to take the VIX from the 35 and a half level that it closed today probably down into the high 20s. And by the way, if that's the case, I think you buy the VIX once again. Bono, and how, do you, how did you read the markets today? Do you think that it's saying anything about the election? Maybe not about who is going to win, but the fact that we might have a winner uh, sooner than we all think. Yeah, I think trying to part and parcel um, the specifics around who's going to win, I think the market's going to be hard-pressed to kind of be an indicator of that. What I did see was risk assets back on after last week in which it was the exact opposite, right? So we got back some of that move, as Guy pointed out. And to me, when I see all these, these uh, risk assets move in tandem, all these sectors, again, with, with the exception of energy, well, even except for old integrated energy. So you've seen moves higher in the battery space, the EV space. What I'm seeing is that there seems to be less fear of uncertainty, more of a um, contained, predetermined path. And I think that bodes well for the market overall. I will point out that at 35, the VIX is still indicating that there will be some heightened volatility going forward. Right. But still, 35 is, I mean, it's even lower than what we saw last week in that sell-off, Tim. So how did you read the markets? Um, and how are you sort of bracing yourself overnight? Democracy at work. This is very exciting. I think this is my fourth fast money presidential election. And, and the VIX at 35 is not, you know, I, I think the presumption here is uncertainty tomorrow morning. I, I think the market has gotten to a place where uh, it's not going to be comfortable with uncertainty, but there's certain uncertainty. Um, I do think that the market, though, is looking at least it's impossible to divorce itself from the political polls. And then, there, of course, there are the betting polls. And the betting polls are significantly tighter than the political polls. But the political polls are certainly signaling uh, that the market likes the concept of a blue sweep. And I would go ahead and say, uh, again, not my political views. Um, but I, I think the market needs to think about that. I think the market needs to think. Uh, in fact, I think what the market really should want is probably a Biden White House and a GOP Senate um, and, and I think those are dynamics we can get into more or less. But the reality is, uh, if you think about the 
the world we live in now and big cap tech and, and, and what could happen with capital gains taxes and what could happen with rolling back of corporate taxes mm -hmm. and then what could happen for more regulation for uh, certainly banks and, and what's to come. The short run of higher fiscal stimulus, yes, more conciliatory tone with our, uh, our global allies and our trading partners in the short run might do something, but I think it's more than offset by what you would have in terms of tax selling and a lot of people very, very concerned about what we're going to be higher taxes, especially people at some of those biggest companies. So, uh, you know, to me, uh, the market higher rates is very important. And certainly we've seen in the short run the move that that has meant for banks. Twos, tens on, on the yield curve at 71 basis points, 72 basis points. Um, yes, we spiked there briefly in March, but this is about as steep as the curve has been. Uh, and I think, again, that's signaling some sense that uh, a, a Democratic controlled government is going to be uh, fiscal spending, and that would certainly be leading rates higher. Yeah. I mean, Karen, how do you think about a blue wave, particularly on financials, which we have seen rally in the past couple of days very, very sharply? And as Bonwin pointed out, I mean, it could be on the back of, of the rates move that we had seen also. But but if we are really thinking about a blue wave and we are thinking about, um, you know, regulatory, the regulatory environment, as well as Congress perhaps wanting to get in on how financial products are accessed, how they are priced to the public. These are things that could really impact how financials do business. They could, but I think that'll be a little bit down the road. I think that before that, because, uh, stimulus is really the, the main thing, or maybe the only thing, that a blue wave that the Biden administration would focus on. And in the short term, a stimulus, I think we would see you know, bonds move again. Tim's right, that 210 spread hasn't been here in about two and a half years, I think it looked, uh, was the last time it was yep. this wide. Not that this is that wide, but 73 basis points. So I think that you know, this market's so short-term focused, that fear of regulation would be a little bit down the road. One interesting thing, though, you know, last night we had Tom Lee on, Thomas Lee, about, and he was saying, in any scenario, the market goes up. And so maybe that's what happened, was happening today, that people were, you know, on the sidelines, and he had said there's a lot of cash on the sidelines, just waiting for some clarity and now thinking today, all right, well, we're not necessarily going to have it tomorrow, but we've been waiting on the sidelines. It's time to get in if either administration maybe makes the market go higher. So, I mean, you could paint a scenario of why people thought Trump would win and the market traded the way it did today or that Biden was going to win and, and stocks reacted in that way. I don't know what to make of the whole thing. So I didn't do a lot of trading. So does that mean, I mean, basically what we're, it sounds like we're all saying is that we don't really know what the market is thinking in terms of, you know, deciphering the action today and, and trying to project winners or, or believed winners in this election. And so, Guy, you know, let's say you had you decided to join me at 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. or 4.45 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> overnight. And I were to tell you what the results of the election were, would you be able to predict how the markets react? You know, the absolutely not. And my a couple things I'll take away from that. There's some uh, implicit invitation for me to appear at the middle of the night with you, which I'm more than happy to do, by the way. Um, <laughs> wardrobe notwithstanding at that time. The other thing is, I was on with Michelle Caruso Cabrera this time four years ago at 3.30 in the morning, and you sort of saw the outcome. I think it was mm -hmm. announced a few hours earlier. You had that huge sell-off in the market. My comment to her was, 
you know what, I think you'll see a bit of a relief rally, but the market is probably headed significantly lower over the next couple of weeks. And that was 100 percent wrong. And I knew the outcome. So I don't think certainty in terms of the results will give you clarity into where the market's going. What I do think, though, it's going to take a lot of the volatility out of the market. And I'll keep going back to that. I think that's something that Bonowin said as well. Now, obviously, that suggests that the market's going higher. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think this is one of those situations where you can see vol come out and the market trade sideways for a while. All right. Well, voting is underway across the country, and we have already seen a record number of early ballots cast. Let's get to Elon Moy live in Washington with more. Elon. Well, Melissa, the latest tally from NBC and Target Smart now puts the number of early and absentee votes at more than 100 million. Now, that is about double the number during the last presidential election. And NBC analysis shows that Democrats have made up 43 percent of the early vote, while Republicans account for 37 percent. But how each state processes these votes is going to be different. Four key battleground states, Arizona, Georgia, Minnesota and Nevada, all start counting ballots when they're received. Other swing states like Florida, Ohio, and North Carolina, they start processing them on a set day before the election. And two critical battleground states, Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, don't start counting until Election Day itself. And in fact, seven Pennsylvania counties say they're not even going to start until tomorrow. Now, as far as what turnout looks like in person so far today, we have seen some long lines in Ohio, which told us that they're on track to surpass six million votes for the first time. But in Minnesota, the secretary of state there told us that he's expecting the lines to be shorter this year because the process was so front loaded. He said they did prepare for disruption at the polls. But as of this afternoon, there have been no incidents so far. Melissa, he said that even the weather in the Twin Cities is cooperating. It was 60 degrees, and I think that's warmer than it is here in Washington. Back over to you. So, Elon, we were just talking about the markets uh, believing perhaps by reading the bond market and other moves uh, that there that there will be some sort of a winner declared sooner rather than later. What basically you're saying is that because of this sort of delayed vote counting of, of these mail-in ballots, we might not know. That's right, Melissa. We may not know who the winner is tonight, both in terms of the presidential race Mm -hmm. and in terms of the balance of power in the Senate, which is also so critical. Not only is there the ballot counting that still needs to take place, but there's also lawsuits around how some of these ballots are being processed. That could delay this even longer. We did hear from the Michigan Secretary of State earlier today who had set Friday as the timeline for perhaps getting some of those results. She had said that they have been making a lot of progress in counting some of the votes more quickly than in Anticipated, so she's optimistic we might know something sooner, but they're hedging their bets and saying it could be a couple of days before we get any kind of indication. All right, Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in Washington. Um, Tim, you're mention, mentioning the certainty of uncertainty. Is this priced in, do you think? I don't know how anyone could be expecting a result from Pennsylvania, which I'll leave it to our colleagues that are, uh, you know, this is the Super Bowl for people uh, in political prognostication. And so they're hard at work. But everything I'm reading and certainly the expectations and the description we just had in terms of how Pennsylvania will tally, uh, how can we have an outcome tomorrow in the state that looks like it's going to be the swing state? Markets are ahead of uh, at least, uh, I think, us most of the time. 
So it's not good news, um, but I, I think the expectation of, of not knowing on election morning of the day after, um, have we had that? Uh, I don't think that that's been the expectation going into the elections before. Um, I think the market also recognizes the importance of the COVID factor, uh, the importance of fiscal, when that will come, and based upon who's in power, whether that could actually come sooner with status quo than it might with a change in the government. The Fed reports and is out and will give us some answers on Thursday, although I don't expect a lot. We know the Fed is there in the background. So these are all issues and dynamics we've never dealt with uh, Mm -hmm. on the night before an election or election eve. And I think that's weighing into the market being believe it or not, more comfortable with uncertainty than I think we would have been uh, four years ago or eight years ago or 12 years ago. All right. Our next guest says this week's market rally is built on the flawed assumption that we will have a decisive winner within the next few days. Julian Emanuel is BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. Julian, great to have you with us. Um, And you're saying that the base case scenario, in your view, is much longer than just a few days. I mean, you're, you're talking weeks and maybe months here. Uh, Melissa, I think we've got a, a volume problem uh, on your end. Oh, can you hear? Can you hear me now, Julian? Yeah, I got you. Oh, okay, great, great. Um, so, as I was saying, your base case scenario is beyond a couple of days. It's more like weeks or maybe a month. Got no volume. Okay, we're going to try and iron that out. Julian Emanuel, uh, we'll get to you when we get to you, hopefully, and we get the volume. But basically, his base case scenario is more like Thanksgiving or even January. And what sort of um, market uncertainty that would cause, Karen? I mean, that would seem like that would be chaos. It would be way beyond Tom Lee's up 5 to 7% in, in a contested election scenario. Yeah, I think so. And I think we would start to see some unrest, maybe. In that scenario, in which case you could see that having, you know, uh, curfews and then having some some kind of dampening effect on the economy. I think um, also just people are exhausted. They just want this thing to be over already. I think that to me is a bad case scenario. I don't think we'll end up there. But if I knew that for sure, then I'd be buying puts even at this vol. Yeah. Bono, and how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think the the more protracted and disputed this thing is, as Karen pointed out, I think that's really the downside event that that the market isn't accounting for. Yes, VIX is still at 35, but I think you'll probably see VIX up around the 45, 50 level if we were to have an election that was disputed out until the holidays. Uh, with that said, I do think the market is getting a bit more more comfortable with either scenario, right? What I think is first and foremost is pandemic and the economy, how we attack that. And I think the other things are secondary and tertiary in terms of their level of importance. Yeah. I think Julian is good to go now. He joins us on the phone. Forget the video thing. That's too complicated. Julian, um, I hope you can hear me now. I was asking about your base case scenario being more like Thanksgiving or even into the new year, which would have extreme ripple effects, not only an impact on the market, which I assume would be very negative, but also um, how the market perceives stimulus coming. Yeah, so from our point of view, you've got sort of the, the twin concerns here politically. Obviously, the presidential race, which, you know, again, could go days or perhaps weeks. But the one that looks like it's poised to perhaps go into Thanksgiving or maybe even further is the Senate. And and in reality, given the fact that you're basically in the middle of a trading range that has still been, you know, you had a bad October simply because not only the election uncertainty, but also the acceleration in the virus 
and this knowledge that we weren't going to get the stimulus prior to the election, if you have that uncertainty overhang, that's a recipe, in our view, for trading down perhaps to the 200-day moving average, um, you know, at 3130 in the S&P 500. But ultimately, when you look at this series of circumstances, the fact that you're likely going to get substantial stimulus in almost all political configurations early next year bodes very, very well for the potential for a strong rebound once we get through the uncertainty. So it, it doesn't matter to you when that stimulus comes, just knowing it comes is good enough. So, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is if there is some sort of a blue wave, stimulus is not likely to be passed after this election. We'll be more likely to have to wait until sometime early next year. That doesn't matter in your view in terms of the economic recovery and the, and the form and the shape and the trajectory of it? Well, the importance of something like a blue wave or perhaps the configuration where the president wins re-election mm-hmm. and you have the Democrats keep control of the House and take the Senate over, both of those imply that stimulus will likely be larger than the market looks at right now. Uh, I would say the base case is for early next year on the order of $2 trillion. That number is likely to be higher. And so if it's going to be higher, um, we think what that does is gives the, the market the ability to look through the fact that the virus accelerating is likely to dampen economic activity in the fourth quarter and the first quarter. But then you get this big dollop that, uh, you know, hopefully carries you through to the spring when the economy starts to open more normally. And then you get medical advances as well. All right. Julian, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for bearing with us with those technical glitches. Julian Emanuel of BTIG. Here's a question, though. At what point does a market look past the immediacy and, and, and the promise of, of a huge stimulus package and, and start thinking about Bonowin, higher taxes, higher, uh, you know, st- tougher regulatory environment? Um, listen, I, I think the market has been extremely myopic in terms of how it's been trading with momentum, with headlines, things around the pandemic. So it's hard for me to, to even consider looking that far out. Earnings aside and P.E. ratios that have been uh, extrapolated from 21 numbers aside, this market is very much trading on economic fragility and pandemic fragility. And until we get through that, I really don't see the the proposed tax changes, health care and things of that nature really being factored in as heavily as they likely would be in another um, environment or scenario. All right. Keep it right here for full team coverage of tonight's election. CNBC will be live on the air as the results roll in, and we're staying live throughout the night. It all kicks off 7 p.m. Eastern time. Meantime, coming up, we're breaking out your election night playbook, the one key market to watch if you want to read on where things are headed. But first, the big news out of China that sank shares of Alibaba and caused one of our traders to consider hitting the sell button. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're following a developing story on Alibaba. Shares plummeting more than 8% today on some big news out of China. Deidre Bosa joins us now with the details. Deidre. 
Melissa, very much still a developing story, but here's what we know so far. Just days before Ant Group's planned debut in Shanghai and Hong Kong, the biggest ever IPO, Chinese regulators slammed the brakes. That issue, a closed-door meeting between Jack Ma, Ant executives, and Chinese regulators. Also, potential changes to the regulatory landscape that could not just disqualify the IPO, but disrupt Ant's business model. Now, this comes about a week after Jack Ma, who has stepped away from operational roles at Ant and Alibaba, but remains the face of both companies, made some inflammatory comments about the Chinese banking system to an audience of Chinese bankers and regulators. He said that Beijing's emphasis on preventing systemic financial risks may have missed the point and could actually stifle innovation. Now, that ruffled some feathers at the top, including a top regulator who then criticized some of Ant's features. Now, the draft rules on financial regulation that came out of Beijing today would impact Ant's lending business, which has surpassed payments as the largest revenue driver. Alibaba, of course, where does it all fit in? It has a 33% stake in Ant. And by the way, Melissa, reports quarterly earnings Thursday morning certainly will be an interesting earnings call. Back to you. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa for us. Um, and some of the requirements that may be required um, could really impact how it operates as a business. I mean, Karen, increasing the capital requirements in the micro lending unit, as Deidre had mentioned, one of the growing and important parts of, of Ant's business, that changes the story a little bit. Right. And then there was some potential regulation about cross-province transaction, maybe not being able to do that. So there was two things. So the IPO in itself would have unlocked value. We would see exactly what Ant was worth. So that not happening is a bad thing. But I think the part you're focusing on, which is the right part, I think, is what does it really do to these to the business, these regulations? So as an Alibaba shareholder, I hate, hate, hate this news and, I, you know, it was a, just a severe rebuke of, of uh, Jack Ma, kind of, it, it kind of shocking. But then I try to think, all right, I hate very bad news like this, but let's go through and see exactly how much of a hit should Alibaba take. So uh, as Deidre mentioned, they, they own a third. It was going to be about $300 billion, maybe more, but let's just say 300 So that's $100 billion to Alibaba. Now, normally there's a little bit of a hold code discount. You don't get exactly... What the market doesn't give you exactly what your shares are worth. So let's say it was 90, but the market cap was, I don't know, decreased by 60 some odd billion. I don't know exactly where it closed. That to me seems like a pretty, pretty egregious discount for, I don't know how this is, gets resolved. I don't think the IPO will be on track in any near term at all, but that seems like it's discounting a lot of penalties on Ant Financial. And remember, there's so many great businesses there. There's the underlying business. There's cloud. Uh, there's grocery. There's logistics. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot to like there. Yeah. Does this change, uh, Tim, your view of, of BABA? And does this have ramifications for other Chinese tech names in terms of the Chinese government willing to get in there and, and changing the rules of the game as you're operating? Well, Karen talked about some of the, the, the different pieces, mm-hmm. Alipay. I mean, there's, there's an, uh, basically Alibaba is a myriad of some of the biggest tech companies that are five different companies in this country. Uh, and we have seen this rebuke against Jack Ma before. It is something that's to be concerned. Uh, someone's been investing in emerging markets, especially when the state gets involved in licensing uh, and things that are more related to intellectual property or ownership of assets that are uh, in con- the government essentially could change the rules overnight. Um, China's also very concerned about their, you know, the, the perception 
of how they govern and how they govern in their business world and creating market centers. I, I think there's, there's certainly going to be uh, a, a slap or more than that on the wrist here. But uh, Karen did a little bit of the math on, on what this has meant to the valuation of Alibaba. Uh, effectively, we're back to where we were before the driver of unlocking uh, Ant was, was uh, basically carried out in the market over the last three weeks. Um, I think at this point, you've, you've essentially reconciled it, unless you feel this is a broader attack on Alibaba. Um, but again, I think the company's been through this before, and I think they've separated themselves from Jack Ma uh, in that sense. And I think China would not do that to a national champion that on a global scale is there to take on Amazon and all the big U.S. tech players. So I think overdone. I'm an Alibaba shareholder. Uh, I'm not buying on this news. But I'm not running for the door. That sounds like basically there's a floor to this to this action then, Guy. I mean, I mean if we are to view Baba as sort of a national treasure, it's not going to let it go down too much. No, and to Tim's point, I mean, Jack Ma's been down similar roads before. And each time in terms of the stock action, it's proven to be a real buying opportunity. If you go back to the March low, which I think was 169 in Alibaba, you've made a series of higher highs and higher lows. And even with today's move, that trend is still intact. I'd be very concerned on a close below 275, but the trend of higher highs and higher lows continues. You traded almost six times normal volume today, and you have earnings on Thursday. So if you want to play in the deep end of the pool, I think you got a pretty good shot here in Alibaba. All right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Markets trying to digest what a potential Biden administration could look like. But there may be reason to believe there won't be as big a crackdown as some fear. We'll tell you why. And later, the dollar in the doldrums. Investors are fleeing the safety of the greenback this election day. But do the currency markets have it right? We'll get some answers. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks are rallying on Wall Street as Americans head to the polls. And our next guest says today's rally could be built on hopes of a Biden win and a favorable inner circle. Let's bring in Axios co-founder Jim Vandehyde. Jim, welcome back to the show. Great to see you. Good to be here. Um, in, in this article that Axios ran over the weekend really caught my eye. Um, and I'm wondering if you think this is part of the reason why markets have been rallying the past couple of days. The notion that perhaps no senators will be named to his cabinet, to a Biden cabinet, Therefore, no Treasury Secretary Sanders, no Treasury Secretary Warren or any other sort of combination. Yeah, I think Elizabeth Warren would obviously like to be Treasury Secretary. Uh, Bernie Sanders would love a spot in the cabinet, maybe at labor. Uh, but if you look at what Biden said, what he's what he's thinking. Remember, he did this before when he came in under Obama. They inherited uh, like a lot of economic uh, trouble. And his lesson, his takeaway was you have focus on the economy and the economy only, and you have to pump more money in than you think you do, that there's no consequence for overdoing it. But there is a big, big political consequence for underdoing it, because then you don't have a strong enough economy and workers don't uh, feel content. And then if you do something that is perceived as ideological, like when they did uh, health care, you can pay a price in the midterms. And so I think I would look for Joe Biden to, one, move fast. I've never seen a group of people spending more time on the transition pre-presidency than they have. And I would look for them to focus on the coronavirus, the coronavirus and the coronavirus. And that's it for the first year, because it <clears throat> gives him the cover to do the things that he wants to do on the spending side. And it holds off liberals. 
At the same time, I mean, he will be appointing a cabinet. And so even though the focus and the focus of the markets as well is on some sort of stimulus plan and getting us out of the pandemic, they will also be looking at who he appoints specifically to Treasury, to labor, um, and how moderate or how liberal, left-leaning that person might be. Are we to assume then that, that he is looking at a more a moderate appointments in these posts? I think it, it differs by position. Listen, there's a lot of pressure from activists, uh, sort of the new left, to have real, like, bona fide liberals in the cabinet. I think they'll do that, but they'll do it at the lower level cabinet positions. What matters, remember, every White House is essentially an oligarchy. Who is his chief of staff? Who is his economic advisor? Who is his treasury secretary? And it's all going to be comfort foods. It's going to be people like Ron Klain that have been around him uh, forever. It might be uh, at treasury someone like Leo uh, Bernard, or it might be uh, Robert Ferguson, or maybe even Janet Yellen, like people that he knows that he's comfortable with because he understands that you can't waste a minute, that he likely would come in if he were to win tonight with all Democratic power or mostly Democratic power, and he's going to want to move on these things. And so he wants people around him who he trusts. I can't stress enough how much uh, he sort of delights in comfort foods of people that have been around him 20, 30, uh, 40 years. And so I would not look for this to be some sort of exotic uh, inner circle. It's going to be kind of a very conventional and predictable uh, inner circle. And, and remember, if he were to win, uh, obviously still a big asterisk, uh, and he does pick up the Senate, <clears throat> you could do a lot in this country with this government if you have all party rule. The only thing that holds you back is not being ready. Remember, Donald Trump kind of wasted several months because he didn't have a governing plan in place and an ability to fill his cabinet quickly enough to be able to get a lot done when he had all party rule. And Joe Biden, I don't think, wants to make that mistake. He's been in town for uh, Lord knows forever. Right. And so he's been through this. He's seen the mistakes that others made and they will try uh, not to replicate that. And by the way, once you take that coronavirus uh, banner, which is real, right? It's the only thing that really matters. It's going to judge his entire presidency or Trump's uh, second term would be predicated totally on can you can you get rid of this uh, virus? Can you get a vaccine at scale distributed to a sufficient number of people to allow us to move past it? And once you're doing that, you can get a lot of spending through on that. You can do a lot of tinkering with health care. You can do a lot around infrastructure because a lot of it then becomes about jobs in those specific sectors that have been hurt most profoundly by the virus. Jim, in 2005, Doris Kearns Goodwin wrote uh, Team of Rivals, the political genius of Abraham Lincoln. I, understanding the world's changed significantly since then. Is there an opportunity for Joe Biden, assuming that he were to win, to do some sort of Team of Rivals light I, I, something along the lines of what you're talking about to take a more conciliatory tone and potentially try to heal what is a pretty fractured nation? Obviously, opportunities there. I don't think he'll take it. I'd be surprised if there's more than a token Republican uh, put uh, in his cabinet. Uh, and one of the big reasons is, is he's under so much pressure from the left who feels like he's too much of a centrist and too much of an institutionalist. And if he starts putting John Kasich's of the world in his cabinet, there'd be a massive uh, backlash. I think the more likely scenario is, is that the guy loves to do deals, right? He likes to talk about budget reconciliation. He likes to be on the Hill. Much more likely is that he would spend a lot more time than your average politician, your average president, talking to Congress. And he's going to need Congress. Like most likely, I don't think he's going to get rid of the filibuster right off the bat, if ever. I don't think he's going to pack the Supreme Court. I think he's been kind of clear on both of those. One of the reasons he probably doesn't have to is you can get a lot done uh, through a stimulus bill or 
uh, an aid package uh, tied to the coronavirus. You can do a lot under budget reconciliation. And when you're president, if again, if he were to win, you want momentum. Your whole presidency, your whole basis of power flows from, do people feel good about you and the country? And that always is, do I have a good job and do I feel like things are getting better, uh, not worse? And so, and if you look back to how they handled the stimulus last time, Joe Biden would tell you his regret was they didn't go big enough, mm-hmm. that that pa- package should have been a lot, lot bigger, and that they should have pumped more money uh, into the system so that they could have gotten more job creation to give themselves a much bigger boost. And that's what I think they'll try to do uh, the minute they would assume the presidency if he were to win. Jim, always great to get your perspective. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Jim Vanahai of Axios. Uh, Karen, comfort food. I like the way Jim put it, comfort food, but that's what it gives them. Mm-hmm. Um, comfort to the markets that nothing will be too radical in that cabinet if Biden wins. Right. I think that's been the plan all along is just to take from the center to get elected. We'll see. I think the choice of uh, Kamala was um, sort of soothing to those who thought he would be beholden to the left. So I, I sort of agree with what Jim's saying about how he would govern. It makes me think, though, the stimulus, I agree he would want to go big. But then does that put pressure on him to raise corporate taxes early to Which pay for that stimulus? Bad for the markets. So push pull there. All right. Coming up, what a big blue wave means for big green, how the pot stocks could react to tonight's results. And later, why the options markets are still nervous about the election results and what bets they are making for tomorrow. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tonight's election results could have huge implications for the marijuana industry. Check out some of the big movers in the cannabis space today, led by GW Pharma, which reported a huge earnings beat this morning. Our Tim Seymour, as you know, is all over this space. He has long a number of names. He's a portfolio manager of a cannabis ETF, sits on advisory boards for cannabis companies. You can read all of his disclosures on our website. Um, but Tim, what are you watching on election night for this space? Well, again, no matter the outcome, definitely... Uh cannabis wins. Um, A blue wave would equal a green wave. There's no question about it. But the state ballots, of which New Jersey is really the most important and expected to vote a full recreational market, but Arizona also. And then even some conservative states will give you a message and I think send a message to the more conservative states that will be key markets. Look at the the charts of the big MSOs, Truly, GTI, Cresco Labs, Terrasen. They're they're things of beauty. So they're extending upon the the August earnings cycle. 2Q came out. These things rallied into those earnings because they're showing profitability. 3Q is another catalyst, which is two weeks from now. And these companies are actually showing significant EBITDA growth, even quarter over quarter. The the big holy grail for the industry is to what extent institutions can invest in this sector. So uh, I don't think anything uh, that happens even tonight into tomorrow or whatever the outcome is in the next three weeks will bring institutions overnight because many will need that federal legal uh, but institutional money is huge to re-rating this sector. And, and again, we've talked about profitability of these top companies. But some names that are in my, my ETF, IIPR is a cannabis REIT that trades in the U.S. has done uh, extremely well. You mentioned GW Pharma uh, with Epidiolex and truly a pharma play, uh, a beleaguered stock to be sure, but fantastic numbers. So you're not buying a stock near its highs. And I think one of the most fundamentally sound. Uh, Growgen, we talked about, they're a hydroponics retailer uh, and also a major way to get exposure without touching the plant. So that's a way to play U.S. names at a time when this this election, either way, I think cannabis wins, but the blue wave would be massive for legislation. Yeah. Bonowin, you're invested in this space. So how do you perceive the elections as a, you know, in terms of how it impacts it? 
I mean, I echo a lot of the same sentiments. I definitely think um, you'll see a more liberal approach accelerate it. Uh, the the proliferation of the cannabis space. I think that you're also going to see you know similar type of um, adoption as Tim mentioned. If you see the institutional adoption, you will likely see similar trading trends as you saw with Bitcoin from its nascent to it being accepted more more generally speaking. I'm personally playing it through the MJ ETF. Um, you've seen it base around in terms of price action. You've seen it basing around that ten and a half dollar eleven level. It's kind of forming a nice long base there, looking for a continued upside um, in, in that space. All right. Coming up, you've read the polls, you've heard the predictions, but what are the options markets expecting? We'll dive into the pits, take a look at those trades next. Plus, the greenback under pressure today. How will the currency markets react throughout the night? An expert weighs in on that next. Stick around, more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, soaring on Election Day. But the options market is betting that we could see some decidedly negative fallout from Election Night in tomorrow's trading session. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike, what are you looking at? Hi there. So we often talk about what the options markets are implying for single stocks going into catalysts such as earnings and not so much when we're talking about the broad market because we rarely have such an identifiable catalyst. But we do today for sure. And we also have, when we're looking at the broad market, very uh, a lot of different expirations to take a look at, including midweek expirations. And so I was taking a look at the SPY options where we saw a lot of activity. Right now, the options market is implying about a 2.5% move, higher or lower, by the close of business tomorrow. There is actually a midweek expiration in SPY and a 3.3% move, higher or lower, by the end of the week. The most active options were those midweek 330 strike puts in SPY. By midday, about 50,000 of those had traded for $2.5, and by the end of the day, close to 90,000, and obviously buyers of those puts are expecting that SPY could drop below that 330 strike price by the amount that they paid. And one other thing I would just point out, 2.5% in one day, 3.3% over the course of a week, that may not sound like a lot. And for some stocks, it might not be. But for the market, it most certainly is. When we look at 3% moves over the course of one day or so, that is considerably above average volatility. However, just consider one last thing, which is that if you have a portfolio these traders are only risking less than 1% to hedge. And, of course, the market is still in a pretty good place, all things considered, for the year. So that might also explain a lot of the activity that we're seeing. I mean, the context, though, would be a move down 3% would basically be just erasing this week's move higher. So that's the context of, of that, too, Mike. Thanks a lot for that, Mike Coe. For more yeah. options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, currencies are the one market to watch as tonight's results roll in. We'll dig into the dollar trade next. More fast money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The dollar falling today. The greenback having its worst day since July. So what is the currency market telling us about the elections? Let's bring in currency expert Jens Nordvig, founder and CEO of Exante Data. Jens, great to have you with us. Good to see you. Thank you. So, so what are they pricing in at this point, the currency markets? Well, we're starting to sniff uh, what could be a blue wave. So um, we've had a, a couple of sort of test cases of that. We had an early October period where the market was uh, leaning in that direction. And then I think today people are sniffing it's going to be a high turnout election. And that's starting to move the probabilities. So uh, a, a blue wave is viewed as being something that means very aggressive stimulus, Bigger fiscal deficits, bigger trade deficits, and a weaker dollar also through stronger global growth. 
And uh, I think that's the correct assessment. And that's what we stand to price now. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see whether it's correct. Uh, and, and I think the one thing uh, I will say here, Ed, this is not like a payroll number <laughs> where we're going to get the result in a, in a second and, and then we're going to know everything that transpires from it. This is going to be a very drawn out process. And the Senate is crucial here, right? Because if we have a split government, if, if we have Biden in the White House, mm-hmm. but not democratic control over the Senate, it's, it's a totally different implication for stimulus. So, so basically, I mean, let's boil it down in terms of dollar weakness. The conventional wisdom is that a blue wave, as you mentioned, is, is decisively negative for the dollar. But let's say it's split and, and Biden wins the White House, does not have control of the Senate. Um, then what does that do for the dollar? Yeah, I think that is a much, much more complicated outlook. And I think actually tonight, really, the state to watch is North Carolina. If North Carolina flips, then I think there's a very good chance that we will have Democratic Senate control. But if that doesn't happen, then it's a very, very uncertain thing. And it could take days, even weeks uh, to figure out who is control of the Senate. And I think just to put very simple numbers on it, if we have a, a clean sweep, Democrats control everything, we'll probably get a stimulus package in excess of $2 trillion in terms of just COVID relief. If we do not have that, we're going to be less than $1 trillion. So the difference is very, very big, and that's why it really matters for the economy and the market. Yeah, overnight, yens, obviously the currency market, the bond market, are going to be some of the deepest, most liquid markets actually trading. Are you going to be up all night? What, what specifically will you be watching? Okay. Yeah, so uh, we, we've, we've stocked up on food and, <laughs> and drinks, and I think the whole Exante team is ready to cover uh, all the different states uh, to, to get a good picture. Uh, North Carolina, I think, is crucial. Obviously, if the early results from Florida is clear, uh, then perhaps we can get an early read. But if it's very close in Florida, if it's very close in North Carolina, then perhaps we need to be up a couple of days, not just one <laughs> overnight right. that we have to do here. Last, last quick question. Um, if the dollar is weaker, um, the euro looks like it's, it's going to be weaker, too, because of the massive stimulus the ECB will embark on in, in December, perhaps. So what currency will gain? I think the most obvious uh, play on a clean sweep is the mm-hmm. Mexican peso. There, okay. I think you could have a 4 or 5% move. Uh, in Europe, uh, perhaps they're turning the corner in terms of the growth of COVID uh, coming down. So that would mean that the euro can participate in this dollar move more than seemed to be the case a couple of weeks ago when they were really struggling with, with very fast virus growth. Got it. Jens, great to speak with you. Thank you. Drink some Thank you. Coffee. Good luck tonight. <laughs> Jens Norvig of Exante. Um, Tim, can you extrapolate this to the EM trade, which BlackRock just uh, upgraded to an overweight ahead of the elections? Sure. By the way, you have to love a currency trader named Jens. I mean, and we do love Jens. So, um, <laughs> yes. but but to the to the extent that he's talking about a weaker dollar, it's very EM friendly. Interesting about Mexico. Um, he, the obvious reasons, yes, uh, but Mexico is often traded in line with oil. Uh, and I think if we get a blue wave, that's not going to be oil friendly. But in terms of EM currencies and, and certainly places where I think you could see a strong benefit. And look at the yuan and and what that mean, will mean also for investing in Chinese currencies. But EM uh, look has been bucking up against the trend, and some of the highest weighted stocks in there are. Also, global tech plays. So I think there is some room there. Um, I think the resource trade as it relates to a weaker mm-hmm. dollar is also um, that to me is the one that wins no matter who's in the yeah. White House and a trade that's been working. And I think you stay there. I mean, weaker. Let, let's play this out. A blue wave, weaker dollar, stimulus, possible infrastructure guy. This the stars seem to line up for copper and, and for some of these resource names. 
100 percent. We've been saying it for a while and better to be named Yens than Looney. But I'll say this. I think regardless of who wins, any rally in the dollar is short lived and you sell it because it's going to get smoked, as we used to say in the business, like a tipperillo. The dollar's going down regardless. There is a lot in that. All good stuff, Guy. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen. Yeah, my final trade is vote. There is still time, especially on the West Coast. Vote. It's the most important thing you can do. Here, here. Tim, what do you say? Yeah, go America. And and buy Southern Copper, by the way. <laughs> SCCO. This is a great chart if you look at a breakout, maybe from uh, a 10-year, but certainly on a five-year, the resource trade alive and well. Bono and Eisen. Whether you're looking to hedge your portfolio or speculate on volatility, I like buying upside call spreads in the VIX. Guy Adami. Mel, Mel, what is your window this evening or tomorrow morning, I should say, um, for your it, CNBC the, appearances? Um, exciting 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. slot. So <laughs> I encourage all, all viewers night, to wake night. up. Of course we do. Of course we do. But the 1 to 5 slot is the primo time, Mel. And I will be watching. I'll also be taking a good look at Newmont Mining on that uh, resource trade. All right. Thanks for watching Fast, everybody. See you back here later tonight for CNBC's live coverage of the election. Kicks off 7 p.m. Eastern time. Mad Money starts right now.